just came back a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a week and a half ago, from a two-week vacation in Florida. For me, it wasn't long enough <laughs> come back here to the cold weather. Uh, I do have to say I went down to bask in the sunshine. First three days, it was liquid sunshine. But then it warmed up, and I was really happy. And I could have stood a, probably another two or three more weeks, but I miss home here. This is home. Uh, I like Anatoth. I love the people. It's all part of my family. I did have the opportunity while I was there to talk to some people that were former Worldwide members and people that are in the church today, because I, I understand that the church is not just this little group or that other group over there. It is scattered through hundreds of areas. And in the, the talk with those that were uh, members, they were from two different groups. And we had a good opportunity to speak, and that sort of led into this sermon. I had been working on this anyway, and it reinforced what I was thinking on. So today we're going to mostly be in Hebrews chapter 5 and part of chapter 6. So if you go to Hebrews 5 and 6, we'll be there. I'm going to just mark that because we will be going through Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. The I, of Chapter 5, I, I found three points I wanted to cover. I know there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, than the three points that I picked out. But they, to me, were important because it fits in with being able to talk to these people uh, in the church and out of the church. I, the, the man that, and his wife that were members of the church, we were, we were fairly close uh, throughout our history in Fort Myers. Our children grew up together. Uh, they took a vacation one time, went across the whole northern part of the United States, and one of my daughters was with them. So I, I felt fairly close. I worked for the fellow. But it's interesting when you talk to them, when they forget where they were, they lose everything they had. And that's sad to me, because I really like these people. They were part of my family. Uh, one of the questions they said do you still do those, uh, those food things? And I said, yes, because they have a purpose. I mean, do we understand the, the food laws have a purpose? Not just to maybe keep your body alive, because I've known people to live 90-some years and have smoked and ate pork and shrimp and lobsters and all this stuff and still be happy. So it's not that they will literally kill you right away, but there is a purpose. And if you go back to the clean, unclean, holy, unholy series and listen to it, Daryl emphasized that in there. It teaches you and me and anyone that there is a difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, holiness and unholiness. And that was a purpose in it. And everything that's in the Scripture has a great purpose. I mean, it's there for us to teach us how to be godly. So when he brought that up, I said, yes. 
It's because I'm learning and can keep in, to my mind that I'm not going to go out there and just do anything unholy. And it convicts me. But sometimes, you know, we don't think about that when we sit down and eat a steak and somebody sitting next to you is eating lobster. Do you give it a thought? Hey, I'm trying to be holy. Or do we think, oh, that person's killing themselves because they're eating unclean things. (laughs) But if you remember when Peter went up and he, he was given a vision and told, eat anything you want to eat. And he said, hey, I have in my whole life have never eaten unclean things. So it's up to God to make things clean. And for Peter, it was telling him that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, God calls the people. So everything in the Scripture has a good, important purpose in our life. So back to Hebrews chapter 5. The first point I have in chapter 5 is covered in verses 1 and 2 and 3. That's the first point. Chapter chapter 5, verse 1, 2, and 3. And we'll go there. Verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men. So here's pointing out that there were people selected by God, but they're men. They're humans. And these humans can make mistakes. So God chose human beings. So... At the time, the high priests were taken from among men, ordained for men in things pertaining to God. So we know now that we have the ministry, and God has appointed people to be a different position, say, in the church. So we have a pastor like ours, like Daryl's the pastor here. He's sort of in this line of the high priest. And he is taken from among men. And he has the responsibility to teach us God's way. He has that responsibility. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So I know that at the time that these offerings that were made... Um, they didn't actually cure the sin the person had. But it emphasized in their minds, if they would think about it, that they had to kill an animal. So I sinned, I killed an animal, and that is all pointing to what? To Christ. We know there in Hebrews we can read where it says, all the blood of bulls and goats will never relieve the sin. But it does enforce in your mind that a Savior, a sacrifice, had to come along to pay for every sin that we do. And, and the responsibility of the priest, and in this case, the pastor of a church, wherever group of not the church, but of the congregation. Because at this day and time, we do not have an overall leader of the church like Mr. Armstrong was. So the church has been busted up and so we have groups 
set aside with a man who sits in the office of being the director or the overseer of that group. And it's his responsibility to teach God's way of life. And he does it through sacrifice, which are his prayers and his offerings. Now, I don't know too many people, and certainly I don't do this, that are like Daryl. You know, I'm going to pull his chain a little bit. But God put him in this office. And when things come to him different than what we've understood, I know this man goes and fasts and prays and studies, and he'd do it for a week. Maybe not fast for a week, but he'll fast two to three days to try to get the right answers. So that's his sacrifice, his offering to God to find out how to teach us and to lead us in the path of righteousness to do the things that God wants us to do. Verse 2, who can have compassion on the uh, ignorant and on them that are out of the way? So, being a human being, and we should be able to, in the ministry, whether it be Daryl Gordon or me, we should have that ability to reach out there and have compassion because we are human too. We do make mistakes. And too often, people put us on a pedestal. And we can't do that, brethren. We cannot put the minister on a pedestal. He's human being. He puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. So he can make mistakes. But it's awful easy, isn't it, to see a human being make a mistake and forget that God put him in this job. And then we get angry and upset and walk away. And that's not what God wants. But the ministry needs to sit. And, and for me, I, you know, I talk, like I say, these things are for me. Because I have to learn these things too. And, and for Gordon, we have to have compassion on people because you make mistakes too. And we ought to be able to look into our life and say, yeah, that person's struggling just like I'm struggling. And so it's up to us to have compassion on them for that he himself also has infirmities. So here it's, it's emphasizing in Hebrews that we're human in the ministry. We make mistakes. So don't get so critical on somebody else. Have compassion on them. And God gives us that opportunity. Verse 3. And by reason thereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself, offer for sin. So, you know, before we can... And the high priest had to do this. Before he could go and offer sacrifices for the people, he had to have a sacrifice for himself. He had to get on his knees today in this era of the church... We have to get on our knees and say, forgive me, because I too make mistakes. And help me to see. And then come and say, help my people. Help my brothers and sisters. Help the children that you've given me to take care of. And that's why I say that the ministers, and, and I hope that it more so than 
just a few. But I know back in the 60s, or maybe it was the very early 70s, uh, when we had uh, district superintendents, that some of these men said they didn't pray. They didn't fast, but once or twice a year. And I'm thinking, that doesn't fit into here what Christ said. He said, we have to get on our knees and we have to get ourselves right with you before we come and ask God to be right with you. So it's an important job for us. We have the same responsibility and even more so. Because God says He puts more responsibility on those of the leadership, those that are the ministers, than on the other people. And if so, if we want to be a minister, God looks on us very critically. We've got to make the changes in our life, too. So that first point, then, is God selects the people. And it goes in with the second one. The second point is also God ordains. A person doesn't choose this for himself. You can go to verse 4. Specifically points this out. In in chapter 5, verse 4. No man takes this honor to himself. As a person, we cannot decide for ourselves to go out here and become a minister. People have tried in the past, even there with uh, Philip when he he, uh, baptized a bunch of people and Simon Magus came through and he wanted to put himself in that position because he wanted this stuff and he wanted to be able to buy that job. And Peter told him to take it and go to the grave because you cannot by the responsibility to be a teacher. When you also remember that God holds you very critically for what you teach. So it says, no man can take this on himself. You cannot decide for yourself for this. But he that is called of God as Aaron was. And down in verse verse 9, it's speaking of Christ, says... And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey. Christ didn't take that job on himself. Even though he had the, became the Son of God when he was on earth, he didn't take that himself. God put him there. God, in verse 10... Christ was called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. God called him. God selected Christ and put him in that job. He didn't ask, said, hey, look how great I am. We see the first one to do that was an archangel, the greatest creation of God. Had everything, power, beauty, People, beings underneath him. And down the line, he decided he would take for himself what wasn't his. And we now call him the devil. He's gone contrary to God. Look in Exodus 28, talking at God selects, God ordains. 
for a moment. Exodus 28, verse 1. Exodus 28, 1. Moses was told to make Aaron and his, Aaron, his brother, and his sons with him to be ministers unto God in the office of the priest. And I'm just paraphrasing what it says there in Exodus 28. God appointed Aaron. What happened down the line? Korah wanted Aaron's job. wasn't his job to do that, but he wanted it. And God hold him, held him responsible and took his life for doing that. So, we see that God puts people in office. Notice, uh, let's turn over there to Acts chapter 6. I can probably just paraphrase this too because it talks about the appointing of, of deacons. They didn't choose to be a deacon in Acts chapter 6. The ministry, the, the apostles had a lot to do in their life. And they appointed, they asked the people, and I don't have the, the verse down, but it's in chapter 6. They appointed seven men, or had them bring up seven men, and they ordained them to be deacons. They didn't choose that, their own job. Again, Timothy, you can go to 1 Timothy 3, and you can see the qualifications to be an elder or to be a deacon. We, these are things that we should be able to go through and read, or should have already read. One more place there, and I'll read this one out because it's in chapter 8 of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Acts chapter 8, 26. And here the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, let's see, no, that's not what I wanted to bring out. Philip was teaching uh, the, the eunuch to serve God. Uh, Philip was appointed. Philip was one of the deacons. That's why I had that there. Philip was a deacon. You can take that Acts 8 out of there. <laughs> I, I put notes down like I shouldn't do that because it, it distracts me. I will go to John 3.27. John chapter 3, verse 27. And here it is. John the Baptist answered and said to the people that he was talking to, said, A man can receive nothing of himself except to be given to him from heaven. So, in this point, you don't choose to be an elder. You don't choose to be a deacon. You didn't even choose to be in the church. God selected you. You're here because God called you. He opened your mind. I can remember when I first started hearing these things. It was like a light bulb came on. And down the line, after many years in the church, it seems that, like everyone else, I became weak, uh, as God calls it, Laodicean. Wishy-washy, you know, lukewarm, not really strong. And then I heard the Minor Prophet series, and it was like a light bulb came on again. So, it is God, with His ultimate love and concern, has brought each one of us here, 
And he's also put those in the responsible positions. They didn't choose these jobs of their own. The third point that I have there in chapter 5 is sometimes we think we know everything and so we sort of quit listening. We sort of take it for granted or, oh well, another sermon. I was uh, sort of hurt and shocked uh, this past week when someone told me that uh, when the series, and Dara has done a series on Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews. And, and I think we all go back and listen to it. There's important things there. Or they wouldn't have had it. But this person said that he was told that the book of Hebrews, the, the whole series, was boring. This was boring. Boring sermons. I've also heard that about the sermons on uh, Psalms. Those were boring. Why did we go through those? Now, that to me hurts because I'm here because God brought me and I need to know God's way of life. And so when I was going through this, this thing for the sermon today, uh, I've gone over this and over this and the more I go over it, the more I contemplate on it, the more I research into it, the more interesting it is, the more pointing it is, the more information there is. How can it be boring? Is it because we have stopped listening? We haven't opened our eyes and our ears to to these things? Verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11, for that third point. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to utter, seeing that you are dull of hearing. So here Paul went to the Hebrews. He said, I came here and, and, and have a lot to bring to you. A lot of vital information. In-depth information. Now, I, I've talked to people. That's like I said, going back to this one couple that are in the church right now in a different uh, congregation than what we're in. And they say that they're getting a lot of nice things. But when you bring up, well, what's the meaning of atonement? Well, we know what atonement is. Of the two most important times of the year, they take it lightly. And I had to tell a fellow just the other day who was in the church, whatever depth or group he's in, that Passover. He said, well, you keep Passover the wrong day. Or you keep the, the feast days the wrong time. And I'm thinking, Paul came to bring these things of strong meat, but they're saying to him, uh, uh, we don't want to hear that. And so much of the church is in that position today. But we learned about Passover, didn't we? And it's different. And I had to say, you know, when I look back on my life in the church, we kept Passover on the night of the 14th. And then the next day we had a, did whatever we wanted to do. We ate whatever we wanted to eat. And then we made the 15th the most important day. That's wrong. That's the meat. 
And when you try to bring that out and say, hey, it's in, this, is, this is what you need to learn. And what happened when we sent out the Passover paper? It was rejected. It was shunned. Because they are dull of hearing. Because someone could say, Psalms are boring. The book of Hebrews is boring. It's not. Because we become dull of hearing. In Acts 28, verse 27. Acts 28, 27. Here, we're admonished. For the heart of this people, the church. Speaking of the church. For the heart of the people in the church is waxed gross. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But how often has that happened in the church? That we listen, but do we listen? We hear somebody speaking, but do we hear what we're supposed to do? Is it too much for us? Is it too hard to say these are the important things? This day, the Passover, is the most important day. And we reject that in the church. Now, in this congregation, this little corner of the church, we've understood that. And so so I'm speaking to the choir, maybe. But this is important. But the church, overall are dull of hearing. Chapter 5, verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. We have achieved a point in our life where we should be able to teach the things that we are Learning, we have learned that we have studied. We should be able to stand up and tell people. But the church, for the most part, are not ready to receive these things. They don't receive the minor prophets. They don't receive the exclusivity of the church, which are vital points of life. And so... They want to have milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So here Paul said, look, if you are not ready and cannot go out here and explain to people your commitment, your way of life, the way you do things and do it from the heart, like Philip. And that's, this is where I wanted to bring that in on, on Philip, who went to... And, and here's a deacon now. When we talk about Philip in chapter 8 of Exodus, I mean of Acts chapter 8, Philip was a deacon. But he was so convicted in his belief, like Stephen who died for his belief and could tell and explain Christ from Genesis through Malachi. And that's all these people had at the time. 
So here Philip, who was convicted, who knew the scriptures, started teaching a eunuch who was reading Isaiah. So that tells me something there too. They had access to the different prophets. So here's a man reading in the book of Isaiah, probably 52 or 53. And Philip got into the thing. He explained Christ and showed from Genesis through Malachi the scriptures that point that Christ had to come. The God of the Old Testament gave up his authority, his power, and everything and came to this earth, lived a sin-free life, and paid that sacrifice that I talked about earlier in chapter in the first part of chapter 5. Christ was that sacrifice. He died for all of us. And it was His sacrifice that covers our sins. So here, Philip was able to do that. That's something that I need to be able to do. That you need to be able to do. We should be that convicted of our faith that we can go and show Christ from Genesis to Malachi and then from Matthew through Revelation. That's what we should be. We're called and given that opportunity. He goes on in verse 14, But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Why isn't the church all coming here? When I first heard the minor prophets, I thought, wow, we're going to have about 300 people at the feast this year. We had 100, I think, or 70, about around 100. I thought, man, it should have been inside the church hearing these things. We should have had people just flowing out the doors. But the church is not ready yet, apparently not ready, for strong meat. For those who, by reason of the use of their senses, exercise the discernment of both good and evil. That's what people with strong meat can do. You can analyze the situation. You can analyze what's happening around you. And you can decide what's right and wrong, what's evil and what's unevil, what's good, holy, and what's unholy. So I got three points from that. Uh, of that one's that last three, point three, I got the first thing we're going to look at is we're told what for what we should do as a person, how we should deal with this as an individual. First of all, in 2 Timothy 2.15 and 16. You know this scripture. This is probably a memorized scripture for most people. 2 Timothy 2.15 and 16. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God. We're commanded to study. We're commanded to take this book and look into it. That's one of the things that opened my eyes in 1962. When Mr. Armstrong said... Blow the dust off your Bible. I know you all have Bibles. I know everyone has more than one or two. Get one down. Blow the dust off. What does he mean by that? It means get your nose into it. Start reading. And how often have you heard from this lectern where Daryl has said, don't let any of God's words fall to the ground. 
How can you keep that from happening? Study to show yourself approved. Studying. Going through the Scriptures. I've told people before. If it's whatever you hear, and it could be a man speaking, if you can find it and verify what he's saying in the Scriptures, then that's what you do. If you can't, if it's his just off the top of his head, then you don't have to study it. You study the Bible so you know what the Bible says. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Can we say the things that are right, just, and good? Or are what we say off the top of our head and eventually we'll be ashamed of what we had to say? And that's tough. Um, rightly dividing the word of truth. So sometimes, and I've heard this by other ministers back when we left Worldwide, said it all depends on how you put the Scriptures together. And I can remember Mr. Armstrong saying when he was back in uh, Oregon, and one man came up there and said, it wasn't in the church, this was a, a worldly church, said, the people used the, the, the term top knot come down, so he used that to beat up on the women because he didn't like their hair. That was taking scriptures out of, out of perspective. And that's been happening. It happens in the church all the time. But shun profane and vain babblings. Don't listen to things that are worthless. Don't listen and the, the people's ideas. If it's not in this book, then it's not God's Word. And so if we have vain and, and profane babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So, we have to be careful of what we're listening to. Let's see, I've got another scripture here and see if this is what I wanted. And that's in Peter. First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. But sanctify the eternal in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So there are people with vain babblings, but can you answer them of the hope in you? What are you hoping for? What do you want to see? Do you back it up with the Scripture? That's the important part. The second thing that we get out of that, ver- out of that last point is 1 Thessalonians 5.21, which tells us to prove all things. Prove the things of God and hold fast to that which is good. Because sometimes things aren't good. Sometimes things lead you in the wrong direction. But it says, prove all things, hold fast to the good, that which is good. Remember the Bereans? Thessalonica threw Paul out. They didn't want to listen to what he had to say. They had their ideas. They wasn't The Jews in Thessalonica were not going to listen to Paul. 
They didn't want to change. And so what happened? They didn't. They kicked Paul and Silas out. But he points out that the Bereans listened to what he had to say, like we do, sit in services. We hear something. What did the Bereans do? They took their scriptures that they had and checked to see if what was said fit the Bible. And that's a very important point in us becoming part of a Christian. We have to go through and see, does it match the Bible? And if it doesn't, then what does? So, I had three points I covered there in chapter 5. Now we'll go to the... And I won't go very far, I don't think, into chapter 6. Because Paul said, you know, there in chapter 5, he said, I came to bring you important meat. Strong meat. I think we are at that point where we are getting weekly strong meat. Unless we become dull of hearing. Well, if you... If you want to sit out there and say what we're being told in services is boring. I've heard this before. This is nothing new. This isn't something that's just happening in this day and time because I've been in a church for 50 years and I've heard this for 50 years. I've heard it. uh, I've heard that before. We went to the Feast of Tabernacles and Mr. Armstrong, he's just going to say the two trees. I've heard this before. I've heard Mr. Armstrong say, you don't get it. And I sat up there and say, I get it. But I didn't get it. Because I didn't get it. We didn't take the time to, to get into the Scriptures and find out what he was saying. We were too busy with our daily life. Too busy being a Christian living in this country. And we are probably the, the most spoiled people on the earth. But we said, we get it. So Paul said, I come to bring you meat, but what do you do? You can't handle the meat. You need to be taught again the principles of God, the basic principles. So here in chapter 6, the first few verses, give us the very basic principles of God. Things that we should have gone over. We should have had this ironed out. We should be able to explain this to anyone. And you have to ask yourself. It says, therefore, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So here Paul said, let's let's leave the basic principles. Let's go on into perfection. And so we come here and we're getting perfection. We're getting strong meat. And yet if you try to take this strong meat to other places in the church, they reject you. The one fellow that was in the church, I said, you can't condemn the ministry. Well, he didn't teach me what I wanted to hear. So I condemn him. You know, you can't do that. They're human. You can't look down on that man because he's teaching you God's Word, but he might use a four-letter word. And that makes everything bad, doesn't it? We throw out the meat because we haven't learned the very basic principles 
of the doctrines of Christ. So here in chapter 6, we get the very first basic principle to becoming a Christian. And that is repentance of dead works. Look at your life before you ever came into contact with God. Were you on a road to going to heaven? Well, if you were a Protestant or a Catholic or so, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Of course, I haven't read that here. I've gone through the Bible. I haven't read that I, when I die, I'm going right to heaven. I hear where it says you're going to hell. You're going in the ground. You're going to die and be buried. And there will be something to come afterwards. But it says you will die. So the very first thing is repenting from dead works. All that I was doing up until God opened my understanding was leading me to nothing more than a physical life of whatever I, I get, 50, 60, 70, and here in my life, 77 years, or 76 years, almost 77. So 76 years, and if I haven't started going God's way, at the end, that's all I had. Until I understood that everything I was doing was only leading me to death, and I had to sit down and say, I'm wrong. God's right. I'm wrong. These things that I'm doing are not right. You had to do that. We all have to do that. So the first basic thing that ever happened to any of us when God turned the light switch on, when He took us out of darkness, was to show us that everything we've done in our life only brought us to death. So we have to say, Please forgive me. That's the first step. To see that I'm not walking right and asking the Father to forgive me. You can go back and read Psalms 51. David pointed that out very specifically. He said, everything I've done, the sins that I have committed, I did them against you. Talking to God. The first thing that we had to do for the very basics of becoming a Christian was to say, I have sinned. I am walking the wrong way. The second step covered there is believing that it's up to God. I remember Mr. Armstrong saying years and years ago, he said, you have to do everything you possibly can. You've got to put your whole life all of your energy, all of your body into seeing that there is a way you've got to change your life and you've got to work at changing it. And then the second step is have faith in God. Faith that it's totally up to God. The only way you're going to ever have eternal life is if God gives it to you. So you do all you can and then understand it's all up to God. I did a sermon years ago that stated that. It's not up to us as people. It's all up to God. Everything about it is up to God. So that second step to become a Christian. Doing everything. This is the basic things. Can we explain that to somebody who's never heard of God? They think they have. 
but can we explain that? That's what Paul was talking about. He said, I'm going to give you some more information, deeper understanding, like we've been given on Passover, on Pentecost, on trumpets, on atonement, on the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day. We've been getting tremendous information, taking us farther and farther into the truth. We've been giving that, but the church... Just like I talked to that couple, they, they haven't got past the basics. They still need to have help learning how to become a basic Christian. The third step is baptism. So you have to have, he's saying, Paul was saying, and this is the basics, this is the milk of the Word. You have to see you're, you're wrong, see you need God, Trust and obey God and then be baptized. This is what John the Baptist did. He went out and baptized these people. Told them you've got to repent and trust God and then put yourself in the watery grave. Bury the past. Have we buried the past? Or do we keep bringing our past up? God doesn't. He forgets it. But we want to bring our past back up. You know, like unearthing a dead coffin, a dead body. So we have to have baptism. Baptism kills the old body, the old way of life. And that's what we're doing when we're baptized. What happened when Philip, talking to that eunuch, and he talked and showed him Christ from Genesis through Malachi. And he sat there and said, wow. What keeps me from being baptized? Philip baptized him there. I think that when I saw that in my life, I had to be baptized. My wife did. And every one of us. Somewhere in our life, once we have realized that we were sinners, that we had to trust God for everything, we were baptized. Then there's another doctrine of the basics. Can we explain it? Can we help others to see? And that's laying on of hands. All this shows the basics of a Christian. Through laying on of the hands of those whom God has set aside. Remember we went back there in the first part. God chooses. God selects. God puts somebody in that job. The ministry didn't, that we have today, did not select this as a profession. You know, God selected them. We were just people like you. That's what Paul said there in chapter 5. The men that are in the ministry were just people like other people. But God brought them and put them here. And then He uses them through the laying on of hands to help us after we've been baptized and ask through prayer, through our, our conviction, our love, our everything that we have for God, to ask God to implant inside that person His Spirit, to unite with the Spirit in us. That now, we can then see as we're being taught, this is the way to go. We're given that opportunity. So, laying on of hands is a very important point. It's all part of us coming along as a Christian. The next step 
is to understand there is a resurrection coming. I remember back in Fort Myers, I was, I was only a deacon. This one lady came up and said, what's going to happen to my mother? She's died. I was able to explain to her there is a resurrection. A resurrection coming. She's only asleep right now to the Father, to our Father, and to Christ, when a person dies, they're no more than asleep because He knows who you are. And somehow, He stored, whoever you are, He's got you stored on some kind of a disk. (laughs) I look at it as a computer, you know. I've got a computer back there. I can put everything in that computer on a disk and I can take and burn that computer as long as I've got that disk set aside. And bring another one out there and insert that disk in there and everything that was on that other computer is going to be on this new one. Only it's going to be more powerful. And that's somehow God knows who people are. And He's going to resurrect them. So there's a resurrection coming. A resurrection for everybody. Like was asked me just about a week ago, is it a second chance for these people that have died and not known Christ? No. It's not a second chance. We're only given one opportunity to know God. It's a, a second chance maybe to be alive, but only a chance to know and do things God's way. That opportunity falls right now for us. This is our opportunity. You won't have another opportunity. You know, in the Revelation, talking of to the... Uh, Philadelphia Church, there's only 144,000. And I've said this years ago, uh, if you give it up, if you, if you give up that crown and God gives it to somebody else, can you get it back? Not if it's given away. If there's only 144,000 and you gave it up, hey, I don't want to be a part of it. There is a resurrection for those that are not willing to do it right those that have known the truth, those that have gone the right way, there is a resurrection, but it's not to eternal life. It's eternal death. And God is merciful that way because He don't want you to be miserable forever and ever and ever and ever. We know the devil and the, the demons are going to have to go through that forever and ever and ever. But He doesn't want you to do that. So you have an opportunity. There is a resurrection. First Thessalonians, or yeah, First Thessalonians four fifteen says, "The dead in Christ, those people who have walked that path, who are being taught, trained, educated, and doing things the right way, they're trying to do their part to serve and honor God." The dead in Christ, those that are asleep, will be resurrected first. And then those that are alive. And, and I hope it's me. I hope it's you. Because I know that this is my opportunity. This is your opportunity. That those that are alive and remain and are faithful will be resurrected and meet them with Christ when Christ returns. So there is a resurrection. For those of our family that uh, are talking about our spiritual family that are asleep will be resurrected. 
James and Peter and John and Isaiah and Moses and David and, you know, and all these people that through their life, from Hebrews 11, read through the line of Hebrews 11, these people that sleep will be resurrected first. But so there is a resurrection. Do we understand that? I was able to explain that to that lady. And it eased her mind to recognize the fact that even though her mother didn't know the truth, she will be given an opportunity. And what will she be given an opportunity to do? Everything that's in this book. Because it says the books will be open. What books? Right here. Same books that you have to go through. Same place that you have to turn to to find out the right direction. And so she will be given the opportunity to know and go the right way. So there is a resurrection for all of us that are loving God and going His way to eternal life. And there's a resurrection of the dead who've never learned about Christ who will be given, and we know that, to be after the millennium. They'll be raised to life and they'll be shown through the books how to go God's way. Then it's up to them to make the right decision like it is up to us to make that decision. And that's that step six there, which is eternal judgment. There is a judgment that will be put on people that have refused to go God's way. That have refused to make the change. Or who have, as it reads on down farther, tasted the good way of life and, and not done it right. Who've tasted, who've eaten of this. We can see that in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the power of the world to come if they fall away. So this is probably the most scary to me, okay, the most scary thing. This should keep us all focused that once we have tasted of the truth, once we have walked this path, once we've suffered, and we're all going to go through trials because God wants to see where you stand. Do you stand with Him or are you just bumping along? So it says, once you've been a part of this and done all these things and done all you possibly can, and all of a sudden you get tired I'm tired of this. I'm tired of going this way. Too much to handle. And you walk away. And that's why I say, when I talk to friends, I cry. I only hope that they were never, ever truly converted. I hope and pray and thank my God that He is a merciful, loving, Creator God and He knows the hearts of all people. Like he says in Jeremiah 17, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, but God tries the heart. So thankfully, because we're human and we make these mistakes, that our God is merciful. And who knows, like David said, who knows whether God will give a blessing because he sinned He did a lot of wrong things and there were trials thrown at him. And he said, 
I can only hope. Who knows the heart of God, how desperately, how merciful He will be. So it says, if you tasted all these things in the world to come, and if they fall away, once they've understood this, and once they've been a part of this, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, because they refuse to repent, said, once they fall again, and to, to bring them back to repentance, seeing that they have to crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. This is scary. This is not a, a time when we're in a movie and, or we're watching TV and we're, you know, we see all these fake things that they do. This is reality. This is our opportunity. This is the time we have to turn around. And so we have those steps. Can we explain them? Can we explain all this? And do we live this way? Are we ready to receive the spiritual food? God sends us servants. He selects, handpicks, puts them in the church, gives them the responsibility, and even tells them, tells the ministry, I'm going to hold you more accountable than I do the people. Because you are teaching them to do it my way. Are we all ready to do that? Can we go and sit back and say, uh, I heard that. I don't know how many times I heard that. Well, I'm just going to take and... Uh, I'll just sit here and... I think it was a good sermon. I think it was a lovely song. Isn't that what Isaiah said? I try to teach them the right thing, and all they want to do is say, Oh, he's a lovely speaker. He's a great speaker. He talks so sweet and kind and nice. And so we get a minister gets up here and jumps our case. And what bothers me sometimes with that is for me or any of us to sit back and say, That, sermon, that minister is only speaking to me. What kind of a pedestal have I stuck myself on? Am I that important that he tells everybody my sins and only I know them? How can I do that? How can you do that? Sermons are brought, and I know, I sit back there and I hear sermons and I say, how does that guy know my, my problems? But I can change because I know that God's teaching me through the man that he sent. So this is my opportunity. This is your opportunity. You're not going to have a second chance. If you don't get it right this time, you're not going to get it right. If you cannot go beyond the basics, the very basics of a Christian... If you can't go beyond that, if you can't sit there and say, man, I didn't understand that before. Boy, I'm blessed to be able to be here and have these things shown to me because I didn't understand that before. Or to have a sermon come out and, and I sit back there and say, I convicted myself with my mind because I did this thing that was being brought out. We don't want to take 
the position to say, this is all about me. It's not. It's all about God. It's what God wants, what He's looking for. He's going to have a bride for His Son. Christ looking for that bride. Uh, I vaguely remember back my wife walking down that aisle. And I was so thrilled that here is this beautiful, wonderful, loving person going to come to be a part of me. And I'm thinking, this is Christ. He's looking out there and saying, these people are the most beautiful people because they, they've already got the basics down. They've got them ironed out. They know all about that. It's not going to bother them anymore. They're going on beyond that. They want more than the basics. They want the meat. They want to have a better, deeper understanding so they can be the bride of Christ. So, where do you stand? Are the sermons that we're hearing boring? Are we wasting our time? Are we here to become the bride of Christ? Are our ears dull? Do we understand that God puts the person in the job? And so maybe we think we ought to have that job. Where does that come from? Where do we get the idea that I should be the one doing the speaking? That I should be in charge? That I am the best? Where does that come from? It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from Christ. Then we have to know that what Mr. Armstrong said, there are two definite, distinct ways of life. God's way and the way of the one that went the wrong direction. And it's happened. It's still happening today. Put your help, your heart rather, into the Bible. Whatever you hear, does it match what's here? Does what's being said come from here? And are you sitting here or listening on a telephone line to hear the meat? Because that's what we're being given here. We have been so, so blessed by our Father to be able to be here and hear the meat of the Word.